Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. So as we move into a time where we study and we open up the scriptures and our preacher comes and and brings us the word and feeds us the bread of life here in just a moment, I just want to take a moment of, uh, I call it pastoral privilege, Bill, just to stand here in the midst of my family and say how grateful I am to you. These last three weeks, in case you've not been with us, hopefully you've been able to be uh, resting or perhaps doing something exotic and fun with your family away. And if you've missed one of these Sundays, uh, you're in for a treat today because uh, Bill Scheel uh, is a friend of mine. We go way back to Tennessee days where we served in Tennessee, a couple of churches uh, not too far from one another. Uh, and during this, these three weeks when I have been in uh, doctoral preparation, uh, every summer uh, on campus doing some, some things, some classwork at the seminary. Um, I've had Bill come and offer the sermon uh, on the days, on the weeks, whenever I'm not able to prepare. And it has been a feast. Uh, he has fed us well. Bill uh, Scheel is the president of Northern Baptist Theological Seminary. Northern is in Chicago, uh, you can learn all about Northern at, at uh, seminary.edu, which is a great and easy way to remember that website. But what I want to tell you is this. Not only is he pre- president of the seminary there in Chicago, not only is he a professor of pastoral theology and preaching there, but he is leading an incredible work and a timely work these days at that seminary. One of their aims is to get in the same classroom, men and women called by God uh, from all kinds of diverse backgrounds to learn from one another's various contexts how to interpret the gospel and make it relevant for this current age. And one of the things that they specialize in doing is taking those who are already serving, who never had the benefit, the opportunity to go to seminary, to, to do some catch-up, to get them into a context where they're able to explore and allow their theological education to come alive. And he's doing good work planting uh, in the minds and hearts of ministers all across that region and, and actually all over the country uh, to prepare for the ministry of Christ. So I want you uh, to give Bill one last hearty JCBC welcome. Would you thank him and welcome him uh, to the platform today? Thank you so much, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Pastor Sean. What a treat it has been to be with you for these few Sundays as your pastor renews his mind. Uh, it's a great chance to just uh, share together. And I, I just want you to know you have a great thing going here at Johns Creek Baptist Church, all right? Um, Look, it's no secret that Atlanta and the Atlanta area for Scythe County, have, they have plenty of churches to choose from, okay? And um, 
it's no secret that there are a lot of different ways that you can give your time and service to the Lord in church. But there is no better way than I can think of for a person who lives here in this area than to invest, to give, to dedicate their lives in service here at Johns Creek Baptist Church. You know, folks, there are no perfect churches. Did you know that? There are not any perfect pastors or staff. I have yet to find the perfect Sunday school community. And if you can find it, it wouldn't be the church. Did you know that? In fact, that's what makes us who we are. But what makes the church the living witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that we are all able to gather together in our humility and to be formed in that community by the cross of Christ and then to rise to walk in newness of life and to bear witness to what Christ has done. So thank you for what you're doing. Not only being the shining light here, but also the shelter in the storm for thousands of people in this area. Because all of us have been studying together what it is really the story of our lives, haven't we? The nice thing that Sean's given me is the privilege of just preaching one passage three different ways. He didn't know that I only have three sermons anyway, so I've just taken the three sermons I have and just sort of made it work. No, not really. I, I have enjoyed, though, spending time in, in this text because I feel like I live this text, don't you? Some of you know what it's like to be the parent caught between children. You know what it's like to live in that adventure of family, of struggling together. Uh, some things I've even gotten out of by being here with you. I have two boys, uh, a 10th grader and a 4th grader. So uh, on one of my trips here, uh, when, one night when I was away, uh, my, my wife was letting the dog out uh, for the last time at night. And uh, when he came back in the house, we have a, a golden doodle who's about half of a horse. And when, uh, when Buster came back in to the house, Buster had been skunked in the backyard on a Saturday night about 1030. So I just thank you for getting me out of this, all right? I, I just put it in the ledger of other things that I owe my wife, okay? But we live these adventures, don't we? This story is the story of our lives. We know prodigal sons. We know elder resentful brothers. We know things that even this parable doesn't tell us about. And every time we come back to this parable, it's as if we can learn something new again and again and again. And, and this morning, I just want to lift out some characters for us that try to remain anonymous. Because for them, to be in the spotlight would actually defeat the purpose of what they're doing. But I think these are perhaps the most important characters in the whole parable. But I'll admit to you, I've overlooked them many times. Because we live such family dynamics and personal dynamics with the prodigal and the elder brother and the loving father, we might miss the very people who seem to hold the whole story together, that the family can't even function without them. And it seems to be the very people that everyone wants to aspire to, and they're simply going about doing their job. Do you know who I'm talking about? You'll find them in Luke 15, verse 27. They are the servants. Because the servants have a story to tell as well. 
they actually speak in the parable. And although we don't know their names, we know that this household and any church and any believer can't function without being and taking on and becoming like our Savior Jesus Christ, the form of a servant. Because they live with that one radical quality, that characteristic that dares to revolutionize every conversation that we have been involved in, in what your pastor has called the chasms of life, when everybody else seems to have all the answers for every solution. The servants seem to embody the one thing that we all need, the characteristic of humility. For the father says in verse 27, he replied, your brother has come, he says to him in verse 22, the father said to his slaves, verse 22, quick, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. And they, the servants, began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came and approached his house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves to him and asked the slave what was going on. He replied, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf (laughs) because he got him back safe and sound. Now, I find it interesting that of all the characters that the prodigal son would ever think of, of all the people in the house, That way back as we've been studying this text each week, you remember when the prodigal son was in the far country. Do you know who he first thought of when he was out there having wasted everything and blown his inheritance? He didn't think of his mama. No. We don't even know what mama's up to, do we? And he certainly didn't think of his friends because at least his friends were the only were the kinds of friends that could be bought no <laughs> when the prodigal is out in the far country he thinks of two people his father and the slaves how many of my father's hired men have bread enough to spare and even the elder brother despite his anger and resentment that has filled his heart The only person who seems to even want to talk to this man is one of the servants. 
And when the father goes out to invite him into the party, the elder brother invokes the honor of the slave. All these years he says, I have slaved for you, and yet you did not give me a young goat. You see, the only people that everyone wants to aspire to the only ones that seem to be the model citizens in the entire household, the one person that seems to have it all together is this day laborer. The kind of person that you'd go down to the labor-ready office and pick up to. Maybe you'd ask them to mow your grass or clean your house, babysit your kids. Yes, there were some household slaves that lived in the house and took care of the business and, and tended to things. But these folks, by all accounts, would be considered the lowest of the low, and yet they seem to be the only ones who really understand what God's grace is all about. And they might be the very models for us as we try to tell a different kind of story and live into a different story in our world today because these slaves receive the work of the Father as a gift. Did you notice that? Unlike the elder brother who resents all the work that he has to do, and unlike the prodigal son who tries to earn his way back into the family by wanting to hire himself out, the, the, the slaves simply see whatever they have been given to do as the, a wonderful sign of the grace of the Father. Without resentment or anger, they simply do as Jesus says in Matthew 25, you have been faithful over a few things, I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Well done, good and faithful servant. Because the servant knows that the more work that there is to do, the more faithful that they are, the more the master, the father, entrusts us with even greater work to do. It's remarkable that the servant seems to relish and recognize that he is entrusted with even more responsibility. It is the father who calls the slaves and says, bring out the robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put the ring on his finger. Put the sandals. By the way, the slaves would not be wearing sandals. They would be placing sandals on the feet of another person while they remain barefooted. Kill the fattened calf. Why? It is the joy of the servant to be able to delight in the master and then to begin to follow the master's leading, the, the loving father's leading, even if it means into conditions that are worse than they ever expected to find. They sort of lived the life of the Old Testament character Joseph. You remember his tenure as a slave, don't you? Just when he thought he was a little better than the rest of his brothers, his brothers sold him into slavery. And that's when his problems began to start, right? Remember, we said as Christians, our life is not a promotion list. We're not on a stair step to glory. We're not being promoted as if we're going from first grade to second grade to third grade in Christ's kingdom. No, our journey, as we have discovered, is downward. 
that oftentimes we spend a lot of time in the far country. We spend a lot of time in the chasms of life. We, like these slaves, descend much like Joseph. As Joseph discovered, he descended from the life of indentured servitude as a slave in Potiphar's house. And when accused by Potiphar's wife, what happened? He, descent, he descended even further into the dungeon. And it was only then that he became the interpreter of dreams to Pharaoh. Dear friends, we have many challenges to be church today. Whether we find them here as a gathered church body or as a society dealing with racism and sexual promiscuity and, and materialism and difficulties and struggles. The, every time you turn on the news, yes, there are many for us to deal with. Did you know I heard a great, a great quote a couple of weeks ago? It seems that the more issues that we deal with as a church the more issue there is to deal with. <laughs> the more we actually deal with an issue, the more we deal with those issues. The, the issue just seems to grow and grow and grow. And most of us would shirk back and say, oh, I can't imagine. Except here's the real difference as a Christian. Whether it comes to dealing with issues of worship or Bible study, whether it deals with problems of racism and prejudice and hate in our world, the Christian sees all of these painful issues as the sign that God has a promise for our people. That they see in the challenges of others the opportunity. That they stand as John Perkins, Dr. John Perkins said here at Northern Seminary a couple of weeks ago, they stand in the midst of the challenges and say, well, follow me. Because as we journey downward, we learn that the servants are willing to descend to the lowest of the low, and it is there at that deep and painful moment in the reunion of father and son that the servants are then able to rejoice as the father's guests of the party. Now, this word rejoice is fascinating. Because the same word to rejoice and celebrate in Luke 15, where the father says, go out and kill the fattened calf, let's have a feast and celebrate. Did you know that the same Greek word used for the father's party that he has for the reunion of his son is the exact same Greek word that is used to describe the party that the rich man has every day while Lazarus sits on the streets being licked to death by dogs. In Luke 16. I mean, just one chapter later, Jesus describes a rich man who is destined for Hades, who feasts sumptuously at his table. The very same kind of party that he throws is also the same kind of party that the loving father throws for his sons and his household there in Luke 15. What's the difference? Jesus loves wealthy people as much as he loves poor people. It can't be the size of their wallets. It must be the guests at their feast. Because the rich man destined for Hades while Lazarus sits on the other side of the chasm being licked to death by dogs only has a party for one person. Me, myself, and I. 
He parties with himself and for his family. But the loving father has this unique ability to celebrate with people not like him. He celebrates with the lost that have been found. The father rejoices with lost people. Now, you know what really infuriated many of the religious leaders in Jesus' day? It wasn't that Jesus loved to have a party or that Jesus smiled or, yes, dear Baptist friends, Jesus danced. It wasn't that, all right? It was who he danced with and where he chose to celebrate. Because Jesus loved to celebrate in the territory of lost people. Yes, there is a time when we invite those who are lost to be found here. A shepherd goes out and searches for lost sheep and brings them home. A woman searches for a lost coin and invites all her friends and neighbors to come. A father welcomes a lost son home after running down the road to get him. But let me show you what the servants do that is so radical here. It's what I would call radical hospitality. The servants almost reverse hospitality. Did you notice? The servants are willing to be guests in the territory of the lost person. They are willing to allow themselves to get invited to prodigal parties. Now, what do I mean by that? It is the servants have a unique understanding of what you and I used to call evangelism. You know, when you'd go and invite your friends to come to church and then your pastor would preach a great message and then they'd come walking the aisle and get baptized, right? Well, that's how we remember it was supposed to work. But the New Testament pattern is actually the opposite, right? Jesus sends his disciples out two by two in Luke chapter 10 and sends the church out in Acts 1-8. You will be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and Forsyth County and Alpharetta and the uttermost parts of the earth, not so you can get them to come to your house, but you will go and enter the home of someone that Jesus terms a person of peace. And you let the peace of Christ fall on them. In other words, a person of peace is not someone who yet believes in Jesus. More than likely, they believe in God or have some concept of God. But they welcome you. They serve you, as Mike Breen says. They are willing to walk with you because they are so curious and interested in you. Now, some of you have friends just like that. That every wedding you go to, they're there. Every funeral you attend, somehow they're standing in the line too. That every event, every ball game, they're always seeming to show up. They seem to get invited to everything. You know what Christians do as the salt and the light of this earth? We are the ones who accept invitations to parties that no one else would ever want to be associated with. With the permission of our parents, of course. Now, what does that mean? You might say... Well, preacher, I, 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 I don't know anybody like that. Well, I bet you do. I bet from time to time you have gotten a phone call from a friend who has told you about one of your golfing buddies who hasn't been on the course for the last two weeks. 
and you picked up the phone and checked on them. Or you noticed a lot of cars down at your neighbor's house and an ambulance that pulled up at your neighbor's home and you decided to go and see how they were doing. That of all the people in your office, when that colleague was diagnosed with cancer and was spending six weeks under treatment, under chemotherapy treatment, you were the one who sent the note, all right? And that's what Jesus is talking about. You see, servants pay attention to the twists of life. They pay attention to the moments of pain and resentment and anger and recklessness too. When the daughter of a family member comes home from college with terrible news, you're the one that calls your friend and says, I think we need to have coffee together and just talk. I'll listen. You see, this is what it means to become the guest at the table of a lost person. Because you become so much in love with them. You are paying attention as a servant that you are ready to sit with them in their pain in the midst of what's going on. I, I, I found this so powerful as I studied through the book of Luke and noticed in the book of Acts that Peter becomes the guest of Cornelius. In Acts chapter 11. Peter doesn't invite Cornelius to his house. Paul becomes the guest of Lydia in Philippi. Uh, one, of, one of my uh, former church members became so excited about this. She started to identify all the Corneliuses in her life. And she realized that she had a friend who believed in God. But she wasn't really sure if she believed in Jesus. And they used to go walking together. Two moms in the neighborhood. She had just never asked her about her church membership. So the next time they went walking together, she decided to just sort of introduce Jesus into the conversation and say, hey, I, I noticed we've always been walking together. Uh, does your family ever attend a church? And she told me that in that moment, the woman's eyes filled with tears and said, you know, we have just been talking about that. My husband is so angry right now with what's going on in our family and in our world. And I have just now decided to take my children back to church. How did you ever know we were talking about this? And that woman brought her two sons. One of them was disabled. She started coming to church, and then her husband started coming to church, and then she was baptized with her son. And I want you to know that she became one of the best evangelists that we ever had in church because she understood what it was like to enter into the home of a lost person. Because here's the thing that really holds us back in a time like this. When our Facebook feeds are filled with more venom 
And the internet sites and news channels are filled with all kinds of stuff going on that we just want to hide and stay away and hunker down like a hermit crab, hoping that we'll just wash away somewhere else. You know what we really are afraid of? It's exactly what the slave experiences. Because one of the slaves doesn't get to go back to the party. It's easy to be the servant that gets to rejoice and kill the fattened calf and have a good time and dance around and celebrate and high five in the hallway with everybody who's excited about the prodigal coming home. But one slave gets the short straw. Guess who gets to go out and talk to the elder brother? But this slave has another powerful quality of what it means to be a servant today. This slave is willing to to risk the rejection of others. He goes out into the field to do the one powerful thing that you and I are called to do in times like these, to stand across the chasm between the elder brother and the father. To risk being rejected by the resentful, angry person. Now, I'll just be honest with you. I would much rather hang around prodigals coming back home, wouldn't you? That if I was going to sign up to be on a committee at church, I would be on the baptismal committee because that's the most fun committee to be a part of. That I love being the person who gets to serve communion to homebound people who don't get to come to church. Because there's no greater joy. But I don't like to sign up to be a part of the committee to deal with angry, resentful, mad people who don't like coming to church anymore. Okay, let's just be honest. But this servant does. Because he has been equipped and given that powerful skill that you and I have to use. It is called listening. It's the reason that God gave us two ears and one mouth. That in times of deep hurt and pain, whether it's racism or prejudice or dealing with people who deny that there is any, what is required of us as Christians is to enter into their world with compassion and grace and to ask the powerful question, what is it that you are going through that I can learn from? So tell me why you are angry. Why are you hurting? Some of you picked up the phone this past week and called a police officer. Some of you made an appointment with a an African-American colleague in the office and invited them to come to your home for dinner in a few weeks. I know you did that. Because you are so moved and touched, you want to know and you are fully prepared. You might hear something that you never thought possible. And guess what, folks? You don't have to have the answer to that pain. For the first time in your life, you have not been tasked with fixing it. All right? The servant doesn't go out into the field to fix the elder brother. The servant goes out into the field to listen deeply to his pain, to enter into his place and do the one thing that you and I are actually called to do. 
He just simply reminds him of the relationship that he has with his father and with his brother. He reminds him of the image of God on his life. He remembers the relationship. You remember what he says? Just a simple little speech. Your brother has come. That everybody that you're upset with, worried about, wounded, hurt, and angry about, remember the relationship. He's your brother in Christ. She's your sister in Christ. Your father has come, he says. That all of these people in our world are God's children. And God invites us to remember the relationship that our loving Father has has with every person in the world and he reminds him and gives him the opportunity to change. You see, it is not our job to convert other people, but it is our job to converse with them. that we would be willing to remind them of the relationship that our loving Father has with us and to invite them into a party knowing that we're actually planting seeds of grace that might sprout forth and blossom forth out of the hard-heartedness of our world. (laughs) That's the kind of work we have been trying to do at Northern Baptist Seminary. We were started 100 years ago as a protest school protesting that there just weren't enough preachers for churches. And so the Second Baptist Church of Chicago had a vision to start more, to start a seminary to train pastors. Our first student was a woman. Our second class had both African-American students as well as Anglo students together. And one of those students that recently graduated from Northern lives this life of this servant leader that I've been talking about today. His name is James Brooks. Now, James didn't plan to go into ministry like so many of our students. Someone placed a call on his life. They saw something in him that he wasn't even thinking about. In fact, he was a a dad dropping off his kids at daycare at a Lutheran church in the west suburbs of Chicago. And they said to him, "Uh, you would be a good youth director for us here at the Lutheran church. He never even thought about being a youth minister. Then he realized he needed some training So he came to Northern Seminary and became involved in our work in Lawndale uh, on the west side of Chicago in the heart of the violence that you see on the news. And James got involved not only at Lawndale but also in the Lawndale Community Health Center where he's one of the directors there. An outpatient clinic for people with all kinds of medical needs and is now the pastor of the Harmony Baptist Church, recently renamed the Harmony Community Church, a small church right there in Lawndale. They just put a roof on the top of their church. And James used a little phrase with me that I think would, is so helpful for all of us during times like these. He said to me, Bill, one thing I tell my congregation, the life that we once knew is over. But Let the new life begin. The life we once knew is over. We're never going to be able to go back to what we thought life was going to be. But now through the power of Christ, we were dead, but now we're alive again. So let the new life begin. 
The challenges and struggles and pain and problems are exactly the calling that Christ has given to you. Nothing more, nothing less. And he invites you to be his servant. And what greater joy could there be than to stand across the chasms of life in the midst of the pain and peril and to reveal to them the promise of a Savior. Because one day I know it will be true for you as it was for these servants in Jesus' day. You will stand before our Father in heaven and he will look you in the eye and he will say, well done, good and faithful servants. Would you bow with me for prayer? Loving Heavenly Father who has called us all home again and has given us the courage to enter into territory that we once thought was someone else's problem. I want to pray for those who are standing in the chasm now. For grandparents who know what it is like to be torn apart with family members and grandchildren who are living in such deep pain that simply being here today is a refuge. For spouses who meet each other coming and going in the hallways of life, but deep inside they are simply trying to cling on to each other as they navigate this adventure called family. And for individuals who in the loneliness and isolation and pain with wounds that are so deep, they stand in the chasm wondering if there is hope. Today, Lord, we know and are reminded again that is the journey. And somehow at the bottom is where we find you, the one who after you were crucified on the cross descended into the gates of Hades to defeat death and hell and the grave. And rising out of the power of the resurrection would call us, the ones who were once dead, to come back to life. So Lord... Today, let the new life begin for your power and your glory. We are your servants. In Jesus' name we pray.